This morning, we discussed at length how people hated, even despised, and rejected our Lord Jesus Christ. How they hated and despised him without a cause, for no reason, according to his own words. We read from John 15 and other places how he also promised us that if we are truly following him and living for him, that we too will be hated, despised, rejected, reviled, persecuted by many. But he also told us when that day happens, if we are reviled because of him, we should rejoice. We should leap for joy, for great is our reward in heaven when that happens. Tonight, I want to turn that around a little bit and take a look at what God hates. What God hates. Yes, you heard me right. I want to take a look at some of the things that a loving God, in fact, the God who is love incarnate himself, hates. What he despises. And how he tells his beloved children that we too are to hate those same things. It may sound a little strange or contradictory to talk about the things that God hates. Because we know from the scripture, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. We know that John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We know all about God being love and all loving. And we know that we are to be imitators of God as dear children and that we are to walk in love as Christ has loved us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. But it is precisely because of the fact that God is love that God must hate. Say that again. It is precisely because of the fact that God is love that he must hate. And because of the fact that we are to be imitators of him, we too must hate. Otherwise, verses like Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 8 make no sense at all when it says there is a time to love and a time to hate. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Maybe make a little bit more sense. I love Green Valley Bible Camp. I love week eight at Green Valley Bible Camp. I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my son-in-law. I love my granddaughter. And I love all of the kids from here that go. And it is precisely because I love all of those things that I must hate some things about Green Valley. Let me tell you two things. Because I love all those people, and I love that week, and I love everything we do, what I have to hate as a result. I hate the poison ivy at Green Valley. <laughs> I hate it because one year Katie was shagging balls in, in the outfield as, as I was hitting, and one of them bounced down into that little gully there between the road that used to come in and, and the ball field, and Katie just barrels right down in there and trying to find softball. She cut her, cut her leg, and she got poison ivy all over her. She come home, and she had a terrible time with it. Something else that, because I love all of those people, that I have to hate about Green Valley Bible Camp, is the Copperheads. 
when you have a three-year-old granddaughter that's running around especially, copperheads can be a problem. There were at least four of them that were found or located or discovered this, this past week when we were down there. Two of them were killed, two of them were not. So I hate those, and the reason I hate the poison ivy and hate the copperheads is because of the damage that they can do to the people that I love. Because I love, there's certain things that I have to hate. And, and when I think about it in those terms, it's a little easier for me to get my head around that God is the same way. It is precisely because God loves you and me so very much that he hates those things which can harm us. Because he loves us so deeply, he hates those things which can hurt us. He hates those things which can wound us, which can cause us needless pain and suffering and, and all of those sorts of things. In other words, sin. God hates sin. Why does God hate sin? Because God loves you and he doesn't want you to suffer all of the pain that sin can bring into your life. We're familiar with the story in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, where the woman is brought for Jesus and cast down, caught in adultery in the story of, of the men wanting to stone her and, and Jesus getting down and drawing in the sand and, and getting up and saying, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. We're very familiar with that story. And we've often heard it probably summarized that we must love the sinner and hate the sin. And it was precisely because God loved her so much that he too had to hate what sin was doing to her. He hated both what sin was doing and was about to do to her because that sin, if continued in, that sin itself could separate her from him for all eternity and he wanted her with him in heaven and so we see that real love, true love, genuine love, godly love demands a hatred of that which can harm or wound or cause unnecessary pain and suffering to those that we do love. For example, I hope nobody has any of these things going on. If the child you love is addicted to methamphetamines or some other kind of mind-warping, health-stealing, life-threatening drug, you come very quickly to hate that because it is destroying that which you love. If your beloved, the spouse whom you adore, is an alcoholic, you learn to hate that which is slowly robbing and consuming and destroying their very life and being. You come to hate that because you love that person. You hate what that does to them. And it's the same concept or reasoning why God hates so many of the things that the Bible says God hates because it causes so many, so many needless hours in, in, of pain and suffering and can even cost us our eternity with God in heaven. And he loves us too much. He doesn't want to see that happen to us. Psalm 11, if you'd please open your Bibles there. Precisely because God does so love his creation, that is why he hates anything that causes them needless hurt and pain and harm. Anything that is a direct threat to their happiness. Does God want us to be happy? Blessed are the... Yeah, God wants us to be happy. And so anything that is a threat to our, our happiness in these earthly lives and even a threat to our eternity with him, 
needlessly. God hates that. Even if it's another human being which chooses to be wicked to us. And by the way, I almost feel like before we go to this, this verse that I ought to have a flashing sign or something tonight that says for mature audiences only because some of the things that we're going to see here in the scriptures are, are pretty strong and, and this, this series of verses is really strong. Psalm 11, if you'd follow me along, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven and his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. But look at the contrast in verse 7. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. He tells you what will come upon the wicked in verse 6, but because he loves the righteous, it, it tells you that God is, is ever watchful for the righteous. But, but the verse that I really want us to think about is what it says in verse 5 when we talk about some of the things that the Bible says God hates. Those who hurt and seek to destroy the righteous through their own violence and their own wickedness, the Bible says God's soul hates. You see that? That's pretty strong. Yep, but it's what the book says. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand. God loves everybody. Christ died for everybody. God, through Christ, can forgive anybody of anything. That's why he sent his son Jesus to do exactly that, to provide forgiveness to the worst of sinners, as Paul calls himself in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. Okay? Let's, let's make sure we understand it. But, when you look at this verse, it tells us something else. For those who refuse to repent, those who refuse to turn to and live for God, for those who choose to continue to be wicked and violent, the Bible says his soul hates. Why? The answer is very simple. Because of the needless pain that they continue to cause to both themselves and those who have chosen to try to live righteously around them. God doesn't want any of us to suffer needless pain. He hates those things which causes pain, even if it's somebody that chooses to live their entire life without repenting of their wickedness and violence. His soul hates that. There's a similar passage to the one in Psalm 11, in Proverbs 11, if you would turn there, please. What is it that God hates? Proverbs 11. Beginning at verse 17. Proverbs 11, beginning at verse 17. The merciful man does good for his own soul. But he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Again, you see that person described in Psalm 11 as one that continues. They cause themselves needless pain. Verse 18 of Proverbs 11. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, 
He who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination. When the Bible says anybody is an abomination to God, he hates that. It's, it's another word that, that could be used interchangeably to a degree with hatred. They, God, God hates it. Those who are of a perverse heart, just like it says in Psalm 11 about those whom his soul hates. Again, verse 20, those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord. But the blameless in their ways, they're his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous, of the righteous, will be delivered. How many things are there in the Bible that it says God hates? There's more than I could fit in this sermon tonight, so some of them we're just going to hit briefly. However, this coming one isn't one of them. We're all pretty familiar with the passage in Proverbs 6, 16 and following, if you'd flip over there a few pages. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, talks about six things the Lord hates. Comes around to tell you, God hates these things. God hates these things. Oh, wait a minute. The seven that are an abomination to him. Again, you see the hatred and the abomination being, being just detestable things to God. But this thought actually begins not in verse 16, but in verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. Proverbs 6, 12, and now 13. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly, and suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. There are these six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Now, what he's going to do right here is repeat some of those things. That's why the whole thought starts in verse 12. He's mentioned them. Now he's going to repeat some of them. Some of them are just different wording of the same things. These seven things that are an abomination that God hates are a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. That's just like verse 14, perversity in his heart. Feet that are swift to running to evil, just like verse 14, devises evil continually. A false witness who speaks lies. He's already talked about that one in verse 17. And one who sows discord among brethren. That's apparently a biggie because it's in verse 14 as well. All of these things are things that God hates. And because God hates them, we should hate them too. Because they're just like the fangs of a copperhead. By the way, I did a little research on copperheads. I didn't know this being got from the local region here, but I found that from what research I did, that, that copperheads' uh, bites are not typically fatal. I didn't know that because I'm not a real snake expert by any stretch. But they can be fatal, but it's a rarity. But the pain and suffering that they cause, the, the, all of the issues that go along with, with being bitten even if they rarely can kill you, the pain and suffering that they can inflict is why I hate them in Green Valley because I love people that are there. And, and these are things that are the same way. These are, like, these are like fangs. These are things that can hurt God's people that he loves. And that's why God hates these seven things. 
For example, let's look at just a couple of them. First one is a proud look. Boy, that can hurt. What is a proud look? Proud look is arrogance. I'm better than you are. I know I'm better than you are. You don't deserve as good as I've got. I deserve to be able to tell you what to do because I'm bigger, brighter, smarter, better looking, faster, whatever. Arrogance. The Pharisees were condemned for that, for that sin. Arrogance. That, that was, read, read Matthew 23. That was the biggie. That was the sin. They could, not, they could not serve other people because they thought they were better than everybody else. It was Satan's sin. Satan's sin is pride. That, that's it. Okay? Um, first, first sin in the garden was pride where he said, you know, for the day you eat of it, you'll be like God. Ah, appeal to pride. I can be like God. And, and Satan himself was cast down because of pride. And, and that's what this is about. It's about pride. Why does God hate a proud look? Because it is a clear signal that a person's soul is headed in the wrong direction. God wants everybody in heaven. Is that right? And a proud look, all that pride in looking down on others, means that a person's heart is headed in the wrong direction toward their own needless pain and suffering and destruction for all eternity. That's why God hates it. Proverbs 16 and verse 18 makes this clear when it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The reason God hates a proud look is because he wants everybody to be saved. But God cannot work with somebody who is so full of themselves that there's no room for him in their heart. That's why God hates it. And the reason we who love and fear God must also hate such pride and proud looks is because that is what the very definition of fearing the Lord is. Did you know that? The very definition, the biblical definition of fearing the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance. In fact, Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Godly wisdom personified speaks out and says that in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. You know, we, we talk about, you know, we love the Lord, we follow the Lord, and are we people who are God-fearing people? Do we fear the Lord? The Bible defines fearing the Lord as hating evil pride and arrogance and a perverse mouth. If we don't, then according to the scriptures, we don't fear the Lord. That brings us to the second thing here that God hates in verse 17 of Proverbs 6, and that's a lying tongue. John chapter 8, verse 44, as we are mostly all well aware, Jesus not only tells us that Satan is a liar and that he is the father of lies, but that all who continue in his footsteps are his children. John 8, verse 44. And him being the, uh, the father of lies, and all of those who follow him being his children who continue to lie, the Bible tells us that they will follow their father to his eternal abode and not go to heaven. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. Stop and think about all the pain and suffering that lies have caused from the very first one in the Garden of Eden to the very last one told tonight. 
And it's easy to see why a loving God so hates a lying tongue. And he tells us we must too in Proverbs chapter 12, if you'll turn there, we are to hate it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. There's that joy and blessedness we were talking about this morning. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked will be filled with evil. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Notice the opposites and the contrast in verse 22. A third thing that it says in Proverbs chapter 6, in verse 17, that God hates. His hands that shed innocent blood. In light of some of the news events of the last few months, I could go on about this for hours, but I won't. Let's just say that God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. We could study through the rest of this chapter, but there are other verses that I want to get to, other things that God hates besides those in Proverbs chapter 6. I will just tell you before I leave, that series of verses because there's more there but before I leave it brother Alan Webster that's written most of the tracks out here on the wall writes for house to house he has a he has a book that was published some years ago entitled seven things that a loving God hates it's got a red cover on it it's by Alan Webster as I said and it's a it's a book about these verses right here but I want to move on some other things that the scriptures tell us that God hates Malachi 2 and verse 16, it says that God hates divorce. One of the reasons that he hates divorce is for the same reason that he hates the things we read about in Proverbs 6, verses 14 and 19. It destroys the unity which is so precious to him in the very institutions that he designed to provide so much joy and happiness to those he loves. Destroys the unity that is so precious to him in those institutions that he designed to provide so much joy and happiness. It's also easy to see why we should hate it as well as we look around at all the pain and suffering and scars and tears, even in some cases the loss of eternal souls that are attached to that. Did you know, as I said, this ought to have a mature audiences only on it. Did you know that God also says that he hates the very worship, the worship of those who do not love him enough to live and love and worship the way he said to? Did you know that? Did you know that God said that he hates the worship of those who refuse to humbly submit to and obey his authority in their lives as well as in their worship. It's true. Turn to me to Jeremiah chapter 44. Jeremiah chapter 44. Verse 1. Jeremiah 44, 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal, at Taphanes, at Noph, and in the country of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. He said, Look, the reason that those cities are desolate is because I sent them prophets, I sent them people, and I said, Please stop worshiping these false gods in ways I didn't, I, that, are, that are not true to me. Please stop doing this. Do not do this abominable thing that I hate, says God. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is to this day. God hates it when we refuse to worship him according to his dictates. God says, I hate that. It's, a, it's an abomination. You know, we talk today about abomination. It's easy to point fingers at others and say, well, that's an abomination. Well, you know, worshiping not according to, to God's sovereign authority is also an abomination to him that he absolutely hates because it renders worship, folks, no matter how well intended, well attended, or well enjoyed by those who are in attendance, it renders their worship vain, useless, and wrath of God inducing. We see this in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 14, and Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. You take Jeremiah 44 and you couple it up with those two passages I just gave you. It should send a very scary, clear-cut message to those today who simply worship any way they want without any regard for what God said. Any preacher any preacher who would ever dare to deny, to defile, to defy God's sacred New Testament pattern that God delivered by his hand-picked messengers in the first century for the type of worship he wants is out of his mind. Any preacher, I don't care who he is, that will, that will go outside of what God said and, and bring things in or teach totally differently or even, even have those abominable things that God says, I don't want those. Or where they'll bring in things that God has said, I want it done this way. And they say, no, we'll do it this way. That preacher's out of his mind. Because God hates false teaching. And he tells us that we must too. And the reason God hates it it's not because God, it's not because he doesn't want us to, to think for ourselves. It's not because he doesn't want us to be individuals. Listen, God wants us all to go to heaven. And the way to get to heaven is to honor him as God. And because he loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us that he wants us to go to heaven. God still can't compromise his all righteous dictates and doctrines. He can't. But we can obey them. And if we don't, God hates it because he knows the pain and suffering it's going to cause us. Because he knows we ain't going to make it to heaven because we've proven that we don't want his authority and sovereignty in our lives. 
I want to show you a contrast real quickly in Revelation 2 between two congregations, one that would have nothing to do with false teaching and the other one which embraced it. And I want you to notice this is something that we as his church are to hate too, and that is false doctrine. Two quick verses, Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, written to the church of Christ in first century Ephesus. Jesus says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. God makes it clear that he hates this false doctrine group, these Nicolaitans and, and what they're doing. God hates it. And he said, he said to the church of Christ in Ephesus, he said, look, one of the things about you got going for you is you hate them too. You, you hate what they're, they're doing and saying. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And God says, I do too. Kudos to you if I can, I don't mean to be irreverent. But why don't you look at that by contrast to what goes on in the church in Pergamos in verse 15 of chapter 2. Same chapter, verse 15. To the other church, he says, Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent or else. We have to hate what God hates. Period. Whether we are talking about those who will not submit to his authority and pattern within their assemblies, or those who will not submit to his lordship and authority outside of the assembly, God says in Proverbs chapter 15, verses 8 through 10, that both are an abomination to him. Just as are all attempts to justify such. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. You know, it's crucial that we come to understand, we come to know and understand what God hates and why. It's also crucial that after we find out what it is that God hates and we talk about as we are tonight why God hates those particular things, it is vital that we as children of God then come to hate those very same things as much as God does. That no matter how much we as God's children might love somebody who is either living in blatant, militant, full-blown full sin, or who supports and promotes and upholds either unbiblical or anti-biblical false teaching, it is vital that we never try to justify their position, brethren, hear me loud and clear, that we never try to justify their position or else we will find ourselves in the same position before God. That's pretty heavy duty. We are to love the sinner and hate the sin, yes. And we have people that, that, that we love that are caught up in blatant ongoing sin, false doctrine, and all those things. And we need to love them. We need to love them. We need to be the salt and the light. And we need to, we need to try to work with them to show them the truth and to, to love them and, and give them eternal life with us in heaven because of Jesus. We need to. But the moment that we start to justify their sin, the moment that we start to defend and promote their sin, we can find ourselves in their position and condemned right along with them. Did you know that? Listen to what the Bible says. 
Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. We cannot justify that which goes against our God. Proverbs 17, 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 2 says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Same idea again. It's like the person driving the getaway cars is guilty of the crime of bank robbery as the guys that had the guns on the inside. Finally, another place that God says, if you support, if you, we've got to love them, yes, but we need to try to teach them. But another place the Bible says, if you try to justify what they're doing is okay and, and all of that, when it comes to any of these sins or false doctrine, then, then you're in the same position before God as they are. New Testament, 2 John 9 through 11, which says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Greets him means welcomes all that he has to say, him and everything that goes with him. Yeah, we need to love the sinner, brethren, we do. We can't justify the sin. We who love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we want to, those of us who do that, and we want to remain in the, in the straight and narrow way that leads to life, we must love as God loves, love what God loves, therefore hate what God hates. Psalm 97 and verse 10 says, those who love the Lord hate evil. Simple verse. Love the Lord, hate evil. Those who love the Lord and get understanding through his word are to hate and avoid all forms of evil. Psalm 119, verses 104 and 128. Did you know that Jesus Christ himself was commended and anointed with gladness in Hebrews 1.9 for two things? Why was Jesus anointed with gladness and commended? Hebrews 1.9. For loving righteousness and hating lawlessness. However, all of this tonight comes with a critical word of caution. We have to make sure that we have legitimate and undeniable proof that the evil that we think is there really is. Because you know something else the Lord hates? According to Zechariah 8 verses 16 and 17, the Lord also hates us thinking evil in our hearts about our neighbor when it's not there. It's okay to, if you know absolutely, it's okay to, to identify evil when you're sure, but so often we're not sure, and I, I've been guilty of this myself, and so often we're not always 100% sure, and I don't ever want to do that again. Even though the world will never understand it, even though the world will probably hate us for it. If we love the Lord, we need to learn to identify and truly hate everything God hates. Why? Because of the pain and suffering that is so needless that that sin will cause. 
I want to close tonight with two Psalms of David. Two Psalms of David, which serve as a consummation of the contents of this sermon. Psalm 26, please turn there. Here's the wrap up. Here's what encapsulizes everything we said tonight. Psalm 26. This needs to be us. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I am not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. David says, I have hated, strong word, that's what it says, I have hated the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence. So I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of your wondrous works. Notice in verse 5, he said he hated the assembly of evildoers, but in verse 8 he says, Lord, I have loved the house of, I have loved the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Then he says, Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place, and in the congregations I will bless the Lord. Don't take that to mean David was flawless. As we all know, David was not flawless. But David said, I'm not going to purposefully justify or seek to be a part of those things that you hate, God. I'm only going to be a part of those things that you love. And Psalm 101 is the final one, and I'll ask you to turn there. Another Psalm of David, where he talks about walking in his integrity, that sort of thing, where he talks about not having anything to do with the things that God hates. Psalm 101. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. He said, in my house, it's not going to happen. In my house, I am going to seek to walk with a perfect heart. I will walk with a perfect heart. I'm not going to let wickedness into my house. I hate, David uses that word again, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. David said, I'm not going to be a part of falling away. God, I'm going to serve you all my life. I'm going to serve you in my house. I'm not going to put something wicked there so that I will fall away. I hate that. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look in a where have I read? Oh yeah, Proverbs 6. The one who has a haughty look in a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he'll serve me. He who works deceit will not dwell in my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy the wicked of the land that I may cut off the evildoers in the city of the Lord. We have a very loving God who gave his son for us all. Why did he do it? 
Well, he did it because he wants us in heaven, and he did it because of what sin has done to us. And that's why God hates sin. He hates the, the needless pain and suffering that it brings that, that, that hurts us so much, those he loves. Sin causes untold, unnecessary, and unending pain and suffering to those that God loves, those that God created to be happy. Listen, I, want, I, I mentioned you know, my wife, my daughter, my son-in-law, my granddaughter. I want them to live happy lives. I don't want them struggling with things that can hurt them, snake bites and other things. I, I don't want that for them. I, I want them to be happy. God's the same way with us. You see, God's deep and abiding hatred of those things that can hurt us is only equaled or perhaps even surpassed by his great, infinite, and unimaginable love for us. He sent his son to do away with the pain and the scars and the eternal wounds of sin. If you're here tonight, and you've never been set free from the pain of sin and death, Romans 6 and verse 23, if you've never taken advantage of the opportunity to be immersed in the water which represents Jesus' blood to make sure that your sins are washed away so that you don't have to endure endless eternal pain and suffering for the sins that you've committed, tonight you can be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. God loves you so much, so much. He doesn't want that pain for you. And he's willing to set you free from it if you're willing to let him cleanse you. Maybe you've already done that and you know as you've heard this lesson tonight that you need more strength to hate what God hates. Even to love what God loves. Maybe you realize as you listen to it that you need the strength that you don't have to be more willing to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to maybe some of those who have gotten caught up in some of those things that God hates that we've talked about and maybe they've even caused you needless pain and suffering and you find it hard to forgive. We'll pray for you. Perhaps you need the prayers of the church to better help you love the sinner while hating the sin or even hating the garment defiled by the flesh. Maybe you need more ability to love those who are lost to reach out and to speak to them. Whatever you need tonight, please come to the front as we stand and sing.